All right, y'all, we are gonna go ahead and get started. Um, hi, hi everybody, good to see you. This is, uh, I, like, I was driving over here uh, tonight and it, it's almost like I didn't believe this was going to happen. We've been trying to have this class for like nine years, something like that, maybe, I can't remember, but we were supposed to launch it last fall. Uh, there was this global pandemic. If you don't know about it, I'll tell you about it later. Um, and it kind of threw things off and we were trying to launch again in the winter, that didn't happen. And so it's actually here. We're starting church for Monday. I am, I am really thrilled to be here. And it just feels right and good uh, to be in this space with you all. I, I feel like I'm a pastor again um, in this space. And so I am thrilled that you guys are a part of this journey. Um, this is our first night, obviously, as you know. And so we have some housekeeping things that we'll kind of cover together. But uh, again, this is, um, this is an exciting opportunity we have to journey together. This is one of the things we've said is that this is not just a nine week class. Uh, we see it as a, a multi-day, everyday journey uh, together. And we'll explore more of that in the booklets that you guys have before you. Uh, but before we jump in, let me just pray for our time uh, as we continue on. So let's take a moment to pray together. Father in heaven, Lord, hallowed be your name. Um, in this space and in this time, in our minds and in our hearts, may you be holy, may you be greater than what we can possibly imagine, Lord. We ask that, that you would be present with us as we seek to align every aspect of our lives, our wills, our desires, our affections, our actions, our thoughts and our words. May everything be placed under your reign and rule so that we might be people, followers of your son, reflecting his character in all of life. And so Lord, may this time bear fruit beyond what we can imagine. May it impact homes and communities, places of work, schools, relationships that truly has an impact that lasts beyond what we can even see. And so Lord, I am so thankful for the gift of each of my brothers and sisters in this space. May we all mutually be edified and encouraged by one another as we seek to align everything about us to your will, as we seek to be a people who are on mission on Monday in all the places you've called us. And so may this time truly be edifying to us and honoring to you. We pray this in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen. So uh, here, here's what I'd like to do. I want to begin um, with a little bit of a story um, to kind of frame our time for Church for Monday. So about two years ago, I was at um, our neighborhood pool with my family, uh, attempting to read a book, which I never do. Uh, I always bring a, a book to the pool with my kids and never end up reading it. And, um, and as I was sitting there, I overheard this family having a conversation next to me. And it was this mom and this sweet little girl, and they were talking about their plans on an afternoon. It was Sunday afternoon. And, and this little girl asked um, what they were doing for, uh, for their afternoon plans. And the mom said, oh, we're gonna be hanging out with so-and-so and what's it, who's it, and all these different names. And I'm not really paying attention. And the, and the little girl said, oh, are we going to, back to church? Because she was listing off names of people that apparently that were involved in her church. And which was really cool and really sweet that this little girl had an association of her family and friends as people who were part of her church. And then her mother, very, very just as a matter of fact, uh, responded with words that I will never forget. And she said, well, sweetheart, we're not going back to church. Church is over for the week. And, and that, just, that just stuck in my, in my ear because like this, this little girl in some ways had a wider, more consistent perspective of what the mission of the church is than this mother. Now, in one sense, I know what the mother was saying. She's saying, we're not going back to church. The service is over. And so there's no need to go back to that building. But what she was saying is that church is over for the week. And this little girl whose life is friends and family, like her, the totality of her life is friends and family and maybe candy, like she is assuming like it's wrapped up in church. And this mother said that no, church is over for the week. And this is the complete antithesis, what this mother said. And again, I'm not, I don't wanna beat her up, you know, and she's here tonight. Uh, no, just kidding. Um, she might be, I don't know. I didn't get a good look at her. But, um, but this mother was communicating this idea that church exists within a certain parameter, a certain time frame, a certain geolocation. And what we firmly believe is that the church is not simply a gathered people. It is no less than that. 
It is not simply a service. It is not simply a time sequestered to a location. The church is a people called out by God, empowered by the Spirit, under the Lordship of Jesus, living for his kingdom in all of life. And so if you've been around Christ's community for like nine minutes, you've probably heard us use this phrase that we are a church for Monday. And, and, and Monday is this metaphor that we use broadly for, for all of life. And, and, and I just want to kind of take a minute and allow us to kind of speak to that a bit. As we, as we think about just the word Monday, which we may have kind of negative connotations with, what, what, what are the words or categories or ideas that instantly hit your brain when you hear the word Monday? Sleepy? Sleepy? Yeah, totally, totally. I, I'll, I'll give you that. What else? Garfield. Garfield. <laughs> well, is, it, is, is, is Garfield against, against Mondays? Which, why am I thinking? I'm thinking of Dilbert. That's what I'm thinking of. I can't keep track of my cartoons. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. So Gar, Gar, Garfield. Garfield. We're off to a great start. Uh, what, what else? What else? Work. Work. Absolutely. Blue. Blue. Why, why do you say blue, Chris? Or Scott, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's the start of the week. The weekend's over. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Blue Monday. Yeah. Yeah. What else? What are some other words? Manic. Manic. Manic Monday, okay, okay. What else? Mom. Say it again. Mom. Mom? Yeah, because I, I do a checklist, and my phone always says Mom Day, and I always have to correct it to Monday. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So you, you'll never forget your mother. That's really wonderful. I wonder if your mom actually did that in your phone. She probably did that. I, I think we have a lot, again, there's a wide range of connotations we have with Monday. I mean, ranging from more, more negative to, to more positive. But, but by and large, we, we tend to think of Monday as the time when kind of church is over, where we return to our normal, routine, mundane lives. But, but when, we, when we use the word Monday at Christ Community, this is a broad metaphor to describe, to define, to capture all of life. It is our work, it is our rest, it is our parenting, our volunteering, it is uh, the way in which we contribute, it is our finances, it is how we interact with our neighbors, it's our hobbies, our free time, our social media habits, our engagement or lack of engagement in politics and the news, it's our fitness, it's the chiefs, it's every, like it's just everything. Monday incorporates all of life and what we want to declare uh, very clearly to all of us is that all of life, that fits under this metaphor of Monday, all of life matters to God. And, and that has deep implications for all of life because so often we tend to think of the Christian life as really being only interested in or having relevance on Sunday matters, things that are more spiritual in nature. And we kind of create this dichotomy between spiritual and everything else as if it doesn't relate or matter to God. And so what we're going to be doing together over these nine weeks in this journey together is exploring this very idea about Monday. And what we want to see is that what we want to be as a people is a people who are known more for our Monday life than we are for our Sunday life. It's not that we don't want to be known for our Sunday life, but are we a people so captivated by the mission and the vision of Jesus that our, the way in which we live our lives on Monday is seen and heard and understood and is compelling. And so what we're going to do is we, as we explore together, if you've been around Christ community, you've probably heard of our five values of the cross, the yoke, the Bible, the church, and the city. And in many ways, Church for Monday is really about connecting those first four values to our fifth value. That the cross, the yoke, the Bible, and the church, those are beautiful things. And, and that we kind of put them in the category of Sunday things. But how do these Sunday things lead to, impact, speak to, influence the way in which we live in the city for the good of the city and for the glory of Christ? And so broadly, what we want to do is to connect the dots between what we believe and declare together on Sunday and how we live that out in our respective Monday lives, whether that is in a, a vocation that is paid, whether it's unpaid, whether it's in the home or outside the home. We want to connect the dots of what we believe and declare on Sunday to what we live out on Monday. So, so that, that's just kind of the broad overview. Um, I want to give a little bit of kind of like um, 
housekeeping details of what we're doing. So the first couple weeks, we will have name tags on our tables. So please make sure you fill that out. It is, if you've been around Christ Community, you know that we value names and we want to practice that together. And so we will have name tags for the first three weeks. And then after that, you are on your own for remembering each other's names. And buckaroo and baby cakes, uh, those are not adequate names for people at your table. Uh, so please do your best to try to learn each other's names. Be gracious. And so if you see someone struggling, just kind of like, uh, you know, just like let them know your name. And so let's, let we, because you'll be at your same table together over this nine week period. You'll go home after this. We're not staying here for nine weeks, just to be clear. The doors are locked. Uh, we'll ration the snacks for nine weeks. Um, but, but make sure you fill out a name tag. Uh, there's going to be lots of interaction. You'll see uh, on your table some breakout uh, discussion questions. Each night, together on Tuesdays, we will break three different times for some table discussion. And so that's really a place for us to kind of be refined by one another. Uh, and this is a place for us to, it's okay to disagree or to offer pushback. Just do so with grace. Uh, we're brothers and sisters together and so we're not all at maybe the same level in our journey in terms of our uh, understanding of, of who Christ is and what his mission is but we want to be gracious towards one another but we also want to realize that we need one another we want to see a mutual dependency in terms of how we grow together um, you uh, you'll also we'll have some time of teaching obviously large group teaching and inter large group interaction so I will pause and ask questions of you I'll, I'll uh, solicit feedback from you guys so please do not be shy and at any point feel free to ask questions. And so whether I'm teaching, whether Nathan's teaching or Ben's teaching, please feel free to interrupt us, ask questions. We, we really enjoy that interaction and that back and forth. Um, in terms of the booklets, if you have your booklets, uh, this is gonna be kind of your journey guide for the nine weeks. And like we said, it's not just nine Tuesdays together, it's what's nine times seven, 50, 56? Sorry, I was not. I'm way off, okay. Oh my goodness. My children are now at the point where they are smarter than me. They've been there for a while, but it's like, it's, they're finally at this point where like, I, I don't know my multiplication table, so uh, be gracious with me. You'll also learn in this class, Church for Monday is also basically a nine-week class where everyone discovers how terrible my handwriting is. That's also another uh, benefit of this class. But, but the 63 days together um, is really about engaging in daily habits. And so it's not just about sharing new ideas and new content. We're wanting to engage in daily habits habits of formation. And so what you'll notice is that each week is broken up into essentially seven days. Um, they, they are not labeled by days of the week. Uh, that's because we have some campuses that are doing church for Monday on a different night, which is a little bit confusing. This class, uh, the history of it, it used to be uh, under the moniker Razor's Edge, and we used to do it on Wednesday night. So Razor's Edge that used to be on Wednesday is now church for Monday on Tuesday. Are you, are you following me? It's... I've, I've said that joke so many times to our staff and they're so tired of it. I was glad I got to share it with you and you didn't laugh at it. That's okay. Um, so what you'll see is that in the week, there will be various um, days of, of habits and, and formational practices. And so starting tomorrow, tomorrow is day one. So for us, for our class that starts Tuesday, day one in our weekly journals is on Wednesday. So it's a little confusing. So you'll do day one on Wednesday, day two on Thursday, day three on Friday, and then you will notice that there is a weekend. And so you'll see day four and day five, but your, your day four will be the following Monday. Day five will be the following Tuesday. Does that, does that make sense? It's a little tricky, um, but, but the weekend, there are um, engagements and practices of rest as well that you'll find in the weekends, but it's all pretty self-explanatory. You will also see that we will have a scripture memory verse each week. Uh, and the ex expectation will be that we will share our memory verse with a partner at our table at the start of each gathering. And so that may intimidate you. This is a community of grace. It's not about perfection. It is not about getting it exactly right, but rather the habit of storing up God's word in our heart. And so there will be a memory verse each week that you'll see and look ahead to. And then at the beginning of each week, you'll notice that there is the big assignment for week three and it'll give you a heads up of what is to come. Every Tuesday evening, if I'm not mistaken, you will receive an email with each week's assignment. So in addition to your daily habits that are about forming kind of a consistent ritual of habit, uh, you will also have a homework assignment that's usually the reading of a chapter uh, or an article and maybe the watching of a video uh, or something like that. And so you will get that email assignment and we will use that content in the next week's class. 
Okay, so let me pause there. I know that was a lot of content, but again, the, the five days of the week uh, in our booklets will start on Wednesday morning, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you'll have the weekend, and then days four and five will be the following Monday and Tuesday. Does that kind of make sense? Any, any questions, comments, criticisms? Thumbs up. Hey, we got a thumbs up. Good. Lovely. Lovely. Okay. So if you do have questions, if you're that person is like, well, I, I don't have questions, but I have a friend who has a question. Like you, you can come talk to me later. If you're confused about anything, please let me know. If you don't get an email tonight, please let me know and, and, and notify me so that we can get that content to you. Uh, and so you can reach out to me via email. My information's on the website. And so just want to let you know about that. Um, okay, the last thing I will say about our booklet is that we have something called a capstone project. And a capstone project is something that we will be culminating at the end of this class. And we'll share a little bit more detail as we get closer to week four. But the idea is for us to be, each of us individually, is to be working on our little capstone project that is detailed out by this bookmark. I'm not gonna go into great detail tonight because uh, just for the sake of time, but I wanna give you a little bit of a heads up. Uh, be familiar with this bookmark, keep it with you, bring it in your Bible if you'd like, um, but I'll, we'll share more detail when we get closer to week four around the capstone project. So, okay, so that's, I think that's everything. Um, we will have snacks and coffee every Tuesday night. Uh, feel free if you want to bring food and enjoy that in here, that's totally fine. Uh, you're welcome to snack and eat in here. Uh, grab snacks if you need to take a break and use the restroom, that is always uh, permitted. So any, any other questions, comments before we continue on? Okay, okay, great. So here's what we're gonna do. Um, I wanna introduce kind of our big idea for the night, and then I'm gonna send us into our first round of discussion questions. But here's kind of, here's my, my Vanna White move here. What we're going to unpack together tonight is that your Monday matters to God. That's, that's the big idea, but parenthetically, so God should matter to your Monday. Your Monday matters to God, so God should matter to your Monday. And so we're gonna unpack that a little bit more, but what we're gonna do now is we're gonna go to our tables, stay at our tables for our first round of discussion questions, which is really just kind of getting to know each other. Some of you have already done that, which is lovely. It filled my heart with a lot of joy just hearing and seeing you guys interact. And so this is, I'm, I'm in my happy place right now. So let's take about 10 minutes together to discuss, and then we will move on together in our content. All right, we're gonna continue on. Uh, again, feel free to, to chat as we kind of go on. We'll have some more times for table discussion. I'm glad you guys are getting to know each other. And so, um, yeah, again, this is a real joy to, to see you guys here. Um, okay, so what we're gonna do, so again, our big idea for, for tonight, your Monday matters to God, so God should matter to your Monday. And so what we're gonna look at, uh, the text we're gonna be kind of anchored in is Ephesians chapter four. So if you have a Bible, whether paper, paper or digital, uh, go ahead and turn to uh, Ephesians chapter four, verses 12 through 14. And, and just to kind of get some context, so the Apostle Paul is writing this letter uh, to the church at Ephesus. Uh, it's argued that Ephesians was a chain letter, that Paul actually had several copies of these sent to multiple communities. Uh, as you'll notice, there aren't a lot of detailed like greetings to individuals, uh, which is very common in most of Paul's letters, but it's just kind of, in many ways, it's kind of stock content that a lot of churches, including ours, needs to continue to hear. And the way Ephesians is structured, and it's similar to a lot of Paul's letters, the first three chapters are all about the indicatives of the gospel, what is done, what is accomplished, uh, what is declared through Christ. Chapters four through six are what are called the imperatives of the gospel, how we live out in response of what Christ has done. And, and chapter four is this hinge. So we move from the beauties and the excellencies of what Christ has accomplished on our behalf, how we are forgiven, how we are adopted and brought into his forever kingdom and family. And in light of that truth, so there, therefore, this is how you should live. And so if you notice at the beginning of chapter four, there's the therefore. So in light of all that has been declared that is true of those who are in Christ, this is how life should be lived. And, and Paul begins to describe in chapter four what the life of the church looks like, and particularly what the work of the church looks like. And so if someone would, in their big boy or big girl voice, would someone read verses 12 through 14 for us? Would someone read that for us? Who's willing? Rebecca, thank you. There you go, there you go, you got it, you got it.
to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature, sorry, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. Uh, and then read, uh, and then verse 15, my apologies. No, no, yeah, yeah. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head of Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Perfect, perfect. Thank you so much, Becca. So, okay, what was, what, what kind of stood out to you in Paul's description? He's, he's essentially describing what the work of the church is. And so what stood out to you as you heard Becca read from Ephesians 4? What were some things you noticed in terms of describing the work of the church? Say it again, John. Yeah, so, so the, 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 the role and the responsibility of maturing other believers is central to the work of the church. Absolutely, absolutely. What, what else did we see? What else stood out to you? Maturity is connected with unity. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So you, you, in some ways, you can't really have one without the other. If you, you have one, it's kind of a faux unity or a faux maturity. Absolutely, that's good, that's good. Say it again, Susan. Yeah, so, so there is this, this language of, of equipping, of preparing others, that there is absolutely a, a unity aspect, but there's a responsibility and a stewardship to present others, as John said, mature. There, there's, there's a goal, a telos, an aim of what the church is doing. And, and that's absolutely, because like the, the metaphor, what, what's the metaphor that Paul uses in this section of Ephesians 4 in describing the work of the church in maturation? What metaphor did you notice? Say it again. Yeah, so, so the body, the body is absolutely a part of this metaphor, the body that grows together. And so Doug's mention of, of, uni, of unity and maturity. So you see the body metaphor. What's another metaphor you see? Both. Say it again. Yeah, so you see the metaphor, so there, there's, there's a, a difficulty, there's adversity, and so just, just like anything, we don't grow unless we struggle, and so there's absolutely a sign of difficulty and adversity ahead for the life of the believer. What's another metaphor? Do you see any other metaphors? It's really subtle in the reference to the word children. You see that in verse, I believe that is in verse, where is that, 14? In verse 14. So, so, so this parenting metaphor, this kind of familial language that Paul uses quite often, but he's using, he's leaning into the parenting metaphor. And so, so what, what I want us to see in Ephesians 4, or the, the first point for tonight is that Monday, again, the metaphor of Monday is all of life. Monday is where we grow. Monday is where we grow. And so Paul, he's leaning into this parenting metaphor, and, and what, you know, the role of a parent isn't just to keep your kids alive, you know. The, the role of a parent is to prepare them, to equip them, to raise them, to mature them. And so uh, whether you have kids or not, you, you all had parents at some point and played a role in maturing you to some level, some of us more levels than other, different levels of maturation, but, but the role and goal of a parent is to not simply get their kids to endure life, but to thrive and survive, to, to not simply prepare the way for the child, but to prepare the child for the way. And, and that is the same idea of what the role of the church is, not in a condescending way, but in an understanding of what lies ahead of us. And so just as my role, so when we think of the role of the church, if we only think in terms of Sunday categories, that if the church's job is simply to do the work of helping you read your Bible and pray and come to church and to be generous and to volunteer, I mean, yes, that's part of it, but that's kind of like saying the role of parenting is to raise your children to be good parents. And it's like, I mean, that, that's true. Like if the Lord blesses them with children, we hope they're good parents, but that's one part of what it means to raise a child. You want them to understand how to face all of life. In the same way, the role of the church of pastors is to equip the people of God to be ready to serve the Lord in every aspect of life, to present each person mature in Christ. 
And so this parenting metaphor, I think, is really helpful for us to understand that, again, just as a parent's, a parent's goal isn't to make their children good parents, it is to prepare them for all of life. And that is exactly the work of the church. But, but here's where we kind of get uh, hung up. We tend to create an unnecessary dividing line between what we might refer to as things that are secular and things that are sacred. And we'll talk a little bit more about this throughout Church for Monday. But this divide, whether you recognize it or not, Christians, maybe even more so than those outside the church, create this kind of divide. There's the secular world, and then there's the sacred world. There are secular spaces and places and people, and then there are sacred spaces and places and people. But when we have an understanding of the reign and rule of God over every aspect of life, this idea of, of sequestering things to being sacred and, and some things to be secular is actually antithetical, opposed to the vision that God has for all of creation. God is the creator of all things, and his vision is to see all things restored and made new. And so when we kind of focus on sacred moments and sacred times, that the Christian life is about what we do on Sunday morning, and maybe for a few minutes in the mor- uh, on Sunday morning, and then a, what we do kind of in our devotion time, and, and maybe when I have a religious conversation here and there, but the vision that God has for his people is much wider than that. And so what I want us to think about is when we fall into this kind of bifurcated, dividing uh, perspective of secular and sacred, what kinds of outcomes or consequences would arise from this type of thinking? As you, as you think about the consequences for, for the church broadly or for Christians individually, what kind of consequences or outcomes would, would be produced by this kind of secular, sacred thinking? Yeah, so, so I mean, if you're really going to divide sacred and secular, you may put, well, God's very sacred and I'm not that way. And so, so you create a division because you're walling off a large part of your life from the reign and rule of God and his desire for all of your life to fall under his lordship. That's great, Randy. Yeah, what else? What, what are some other possible outcomes that would come about from this kind of thinking? Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy, yeah. Hypocrisy. Yeah, absolutely. Did you say the, a view of... Yeah, because it's like, well, you can't expect me to act sacred in, this, in these secular spaces because I act this way when I'm at church, but if I'm, if I'm at a chief's game, if I'm at work, if I'm with certain friends, well, that's, that's different, you know? We tend to live these kind of bifurcated, compartmentalized lives, and, and that's very antithetical to the vision that God has for integrating all of life. And so, yeah, hypocrisy is absolutely an outcome of that. What else? Well, what's another unintended outcome of this? Oh, absolutely. That's great, Alyssa. Yeah, so this idea that, okay, so if, if, if there are certain things that are sacred, it's like, well, I'm not doing enough of these things. What we're walling ourselves off from is actually an understanding that the sacred bleeds into the secular, so to speak, that there is a beauty to our ordinary lives that the extraordinary God shows up in. That's, yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so, because we might be thinking, well, this, these kinds of sacred conversations can only take place in these moments or with these people or when I'm in a particular disposition or attitude and we don't see all of life as opportunities for mission, for evangelism, etc. That's great. That's great, Emily. Yeah. How about one more? What's another unintended outcome of this? Some might have more value than others. Absolutely. Why do you say that, Nathan? Like kind of from a meritocracy standpoint of like judging. judging? Yeah, yeah. If value is established by some other metric of economic or cultural or whatever it may be, rather than the image of God in all people, that everyone is sacred to some degree, absolutely, and that allows us to have grounds for judging. And so so the thing that I want us to kind of grasp here is that everything in life is sacred to God. I mean, obviously things are broken and tainted by sin, which we'll talk about in the broad narrative of scripture, but there is nothing in this world, no thing, no amount of, of time, no time of day, no day of the week, over which God is not the ultimate owner of it all. And there, there's, a, there's a great line by Abraham Kuyper. He was a, a, the Dutch prime minister, a theologian and an author. And he says this great line, there's not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is Lord over all, 
does not exclaim, mine. This idea of the wholeness of what everything exists is under the lordship and reign of Jesus. And so let, let, me, let me illustrate it this way. We, we tend to think of our lives um, in kind of, I, I mentioned kind of these compartmentalized lives. Like maybe you did this um, in elementary school or some activity where you're like supposed to introduce yourself like, hi, my name is Reed and I'm, I'm really into uh, running and uh, I like Russian literature and archery and um, astronauts. Oh, and I'm also a Christian. Like none of these things are actually absolutely true except for running. But, um, but th- we tend to think of our lives in this way that we compartmentalize ourselves, that who I am is a collection of these small fragments. And one of those fragments is being a Christian. And, and I think this is kind of how we operate. Yeah, like I'm a Christian and kind of in these spaces, but, but how I understand Jesus and his influence on my life, it doesn't really infiltrate my, my hobbies, my interests, my relationships, my, my habits, my work life. And, and I think this is the wrong way of thinking about it. Rather, we should be, it should rather be more kind of like concentric circles. And I, I'm terrible at drawing circles here, but you have these aspects of your life and they should all kind of overlap in some fashion where there's some aspect where, where Jesus, sorry, that should, be, that should be a cross. I can't draw on talk at the same time, where Christ touches every sphere of your life. And so rather than thinking that we are spider graph people, the people of Jesus who are a church from Monday should really be concentric circle type people where Christ touches and is relevant to and has jurisdiction over every sphere of our life. And that is the picture in many ways that we see that Paul is painting for the church. The work of the church is equipping God's people for all of life. And, and there's this really kind of interesting illustration, I won't go into great detail, but, but in, the, in the Old Testament, uh, when the tabernacle was instructed to, for the people of Israel, which was the, the movable tent, which represented the presence of God, when, when God's people would move throughout the wilderness and, and the, he would lead them by the, the cloud of pillar and fire throughout the, the, the wandering in the wilderness, the first thing when it stopped and they were expected to set up camp, the first thing that was set up was the tabernacle. And then everything else, the instructions in Numbers chapter two, there's this detailed instruction of where each tribe should set up their camp to the east, to the west, to the north and south. And the idea is that the tabernacle was set up first and everything else was set up around it. And that wasn't just kind of random instructions. Like, okay, unpack the tabernacle first and then we'll get all of our other equipment. Like the idea was, no, this is central. The presence of God is at the center of every part of our lives. And that continues to be the vision in the New Testament as Paul equips the church for her all of life mission. And Monday, way more than Sunday, when you really think about it, where you are influenced and shaped the most is in your Monday life. I mean, I, like, we, we get you for like an hour on Sunday and, and maybe not even like every single week, you know, but you are in a place in your Monday life where you are influenced and shaped in ways that we can't influence and shape you. And so if we are going to be a people who are being influenced and shaped in godly ways, we have to have a recognition that Monday is where we grow. And if we are not aware and attentive to how we are being formed and shaped in our Monday life, then we may find ourselves being formed and shaped and led in a direction that we may not want to go and becoming someone we don't want to be. And, and this is so true. You, just as though you can't keep a child from growing, you can't keep a human from becoming, from being. We are always being shaped and formed in some way, shape, or form. And so the way you spend your money, the, the stuff you watch on the internet, the, 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 the way in which you engage and use your free time, your relationships, everything is forming you and shaping you in some way. And where you spend the majority of your time is forming you and shaping you into someone. The question is, who is it? And is it aligned with the mission and the vision of God? Now, I, I want to read a, this brief excerpt. This is a phenomenal book, You Are What You Love by James K.A. Smith. Uh, it's a book on kind of spiritual formation and habit. And he talks about, he uses this illustration of the mall as, as a place of formation and of worship, which is really interesting. He, he, he describes the mall in this way. The local mall is actually one of the most religious sites in town, but not because it is preaching a message or touting a doctrine. 
No one meets you at the door of the mall and gives you their statement of faith that lists the 16 things the mall believes. The mall doesn't believe, also, do you guys know what malls are? I think they're still a thing today, I'm not sure. This, this may be an irrelevant metaphor. Uh, but the mall doesn't believe anything, and it isn't interested in engaging your intellect. Its targets are lower. But don't think that means the mall is a neutral space, and don't think that means the mall isn't religious. The mall is a religious site, not because it is theological, but because it is liturgical. It influences, it shapes, it has rhythms and patterns and habits. Its spiritual significance and threat isn't found in its ideas or its messages, but in its rituals. The mall doesn't care what you think, but it is very much interested in what you love. Victoria's secret is that she's actually after your heart. That was pretty, Victoria say it's, it's, it's a store in the mall. Anyway, I thought that was really clever. But the idea being that we go to the mall and we shop and we just think we're engaging in commerce and transaction. But what we may not be fully aware of is that that space is having an impact and influence in our habits, in our loves, in our interests. And if we are not aware of that, we can be led astray and down a path and become someone that we don't want to become. So I, I want to ask you, what, what are some examples of, of ways that we are unintentionally shaped by things in our Monday life? So, so the mall is a great metaphor, but, but what are some other examples? As, as I share that metaphor, maybe they're like, oh man, as I think about that, like, and again, it, they're not necessarily bad things. They may be very neutral things uh, or, or insignificant things, but they have an impact. What are some things and habits or practices in our Monday life that influence and shape us sometimes in unintended ways. Any thoughts or ideas? Say it again. Reading the news. Yeah, and so, so that, that can actually be very much a literature. I'm just, I'm just kind of being updated and informed, which is a good thing. But man, if that's the first thing you do when you get up out of bed and you're just doom scrolling and just seeing all of this crazy stuff that's going on in the world, that can form you and shape you, absolutely. The gym. The gym is a, oh my goodness, there's so much I can say about that. The gym is a place of worship. Absolutely, a place where we are formed and shaped, where there's an ideal and a goal that we must achieve, and there are patterns and practices and expectations, like totally. There's a total theology in the gym. What else? Being a sports fan in Kansas City. Being a sports fan in Kansas City, absolutely. Like Again, good things, like should we, should we exercise? Yes. Should we be informed? Yes. Should we root for the Chiefs? Yes, you know, but these things can have an impact where they form and shape and influence to, to the point where, I mean, I'll admit it, there are days I have found myself like on Monday mornings, just like I'm just in a, a funk in a fog and it's directly tied to the fact that the Chiefs lost the day before. And that's happened. It was just like, what is it? It was like there, there, there's an actual like psychological uh, effect that, that sports therapists have identified that impacts us. And so again, when we're so tied to our sports teams that they become our objects of worship. What else? Social media. Social, oh my gosh. That's, we, do, you have, do you have another year to talk about this, Carol? Yeah, so seriously, the, the way in which we engage in social media, it's not just a platform. It's not just a place where we proclaim messages. It's a medium that forms and shapes us. Absolutely. And, and to that point, I've noticed this. So one, one of the, I was on sabbatical earlier this summer and I was off social media the whole time. And what I noticed, I, I like logged out of all of my accounts. But one thing I realized before I left for sabbatical, I got into this habit where when I wanted, when I needed to do like a really hard task at work, I noticed instantly my right hand, or which hand is it? Left hand starting to type face. I would start typing Facebook because my, my habit was one day, like, I don't want to engage in this hard thing. I just want to do something kind of mindless and brainless and just scroll on Facebook. And it became this like habit. I didn't even realize it. It's just like, like Nathan might ask me to do something. I just be like, oh, Facebook, you know, it's like, and, and that, that's, it became this habit and, and, and uh, habitual practice of mine. That I didn't even realize I was just going to this thing to escape. And so again, if we are not careful, we will find ourselves being formed and shaped in a direction that we may not want to go. Again, we are all being formed and shaped in big ways and small things every day. And if we aren't careful, we'll be led in those directions, whether we like it or not. One of your assignments uh, for this upcoming week is reading uh, a portion of a book called The Liturgy of the Ordinary uh, by Trish Warren. Trish, uh, Trish Harrison Warren? I can't remember how I say it. Yeah, Trish, Tish Harrison Warren. And it is a phenomenal book in understanding how God, the extraordinary God, is at work in our ordinary life. And I just want to give you a little bit of a teaser. So Tish Warren says this, The new life into which we are baptized 
is lived out in days, hours, and minutes. God is forming us into a new people, and the place of that formation is in the small moments of today. In the small moments of today. And she goes on to say this, everyone, she, she's quoting here, everyone wants a revolution, no one wants to do the dishes. Maybe you've heard that phrase before, or no one wants to make their bed. That's, a, that's another version of that statement. And she goes on to say, I was and remain a Christian who longs for revolution, for things to be made new and whole and beautiful in big ways. But what I am slowly seeing is that you can't get to the revolution without learning to do the dishes, the kind of spiritual life and disciplines needed to sustain the Christian life are quiet, repetitive, and ordinary. Again, all of life matters to God, and so God should matter to all of life. And, and, and as we think about the connection between how we understand the presence of God in everyday life, that's not just a, a way for us to be better Christians, it's actually a way for us to enjoy God to the fullest. And, and if I can, I, I'm not a big like graph person, but I was, I was thinking about, this, this might work, so bear with me, I'm, I'm not a math person. But as you think about, um, let's say, we think about our day, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And this, let's say, let's say this part of the graph represents our capacity to enjoy God. Our capacity to enjoy God. And this lower part of the graph is our understanding of the presence of God in every day. The presence of God in every day. Again, I can't write and talk at the same time. What we notice is that as we understand the presence and relevance of God in increasing days, what I believe corresponds to that is our capacity to enjoy God more. That if God is only relevant to us on Sundays and maybe some parts of Wednesday, our capacity to enjoy Him and to delight in Him and to find his joy and pleasure in us, I think is diminished. But the more we see God is relevant and present in every day of our life, every aspect of our life, our capacity to enjoy him increases. And so this isn't just, this class is not just about how do we continue to grow on mission and be more fruitful. It is also absolutely about increasing our joy in the presence and the power of God. Amen? That's, that's a big part of this. So we can't be a church just for Sunday. And not just because the mission is greater, but because the joy of God is greater. And that's part of what we are going after. So the place we grow and are shaped the most is our Monday life. And if we are not aware of that, we will miss out on not only opportunities of greater fruitfulness, but also greater joy in the presence of God. So, so let's do this. We're going we're gonna to turn to our tables for a second round of discussion. Uh, and we're going to do this for 10 minutes and we'll come back together. And so we're going to spend a little bit of time discussing what we've just kind of covered up until this point. So let's go to our tables for table discussion two. All right, we're going to continue on. I'm sure we, um, I know we can keep chatting and talking. And so, and again, you guys are welcome to afterwards stick around and chat if you'd like. And so uh, we, ha we have church on Sunday. That's, that's all we have to prepare for. So, um, but so here's what I'd like to do. Um, so what we've looked at so far is that Monday is where we grow. Monday is the primary place where we grow, where we are impacted and shaped the most. And if we don't have an awareness uh, of the fact that we are always becoming, uh, then we may be becoming something that we don't want to be and moving in a direction we don't want to go. Uh, the second point that I want us to look at is that Monday is where we serve. So Monday is where we primarily grow and are formed and shaped. And Monday is also the primary place where we serve. And so we're going to look at Ephesians 4 again, verses 11 and 12. Let me read verses 11 and 12 for us. Uh, and then I'll kind of unpack some of this. So he says, this is the Apostle Paul. And he, so this is where he's talking about again, the gifts to the church for the mission of the church. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Now, there are two very unfortunate words that I, I, I think are in this text. The word is saints and the word is ministry. And these two words, they're beautiful words, but for many Christians who are, who are, would be considered lay leader Christians, who are not clergy or not paid to be good, uh, so to speak, uh, we tend to hear those words as saints and we think of who? When you think of saint, who do you think of? Peter. Peter. You think of angels. angels. You think of me, maybe? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> 
You, you, you think of you know, Mother Teresa, you think of people that are just beyond you in terms of moral perfection, you know? And, and really the word saints is, it's always to describe those who have been redeemed through Christ. The, the saints at Ephesus, when Paul is talking about Christians, he's using that term broadly. Now the word ministry is also problematic because when we hear the word ministry, what do we think of? What comes to mind? Church. It's, it's what I do, it's what Ben does, it's what Nathan does, it's what missionaries do uh, in the mission field. And, and what, what you all do is work that supports the ministry. That, that's kind of the way we've understood the category of ministry. There is the real ministry work, and there's what all y'all do to kind of make the ministry happen. And I think that is a very, not only problematic, but I, I dare say ungodly understanding of ministry. Because the, the, the word ministry that is used here in Ephesians is the word diakonai. I can't, I can't write or spell in Greek. Diakonia. And so and the, the word, it literally means service. It's translated as service. And it's a very broad term. It, it's not even like service within the church or service within particular Christian communities. The word in Greek literally means serviceable labor. It's literally what it means, serviceable labor, or in some contexts, it means business that benefits others. That's a very broad category to the word ministry. So when we talk about the church being equipped for ministry, for service, well, I think what we need is a broader understanding of what the word ministry is. Because when we hear this, we think, okay, the work of the church is to equip those people who feel called to vocational ministry to do that work, and, and if I'm not called to that, I'm going to help support those people to do it. Now, hear me, I'm, not by, I'm by no means minimizing the work of vocational ministry, of pastors and, and missionaries who are sent overseas for that kind of work. That is important work. But what we have lost in that, particularly in Protestant uh, Christian traditions, is we've created this kind of hierarchical status when it comes to the people who do real ministry and the people that do kind of things beneath that. And what I want us to, to, to grasp in terms of understanding that Monday is where we serve is that the mission of the church, my job is to equip you to do your job, whatever it may be, wherever you are placed, to do your job in such a way that you bring peace and beauty, love, justice, and truth to the world. No matter what your vocation is, my job is to equip you to do your job in a way that brings honor to God and love to your neighbor no matter what place and space you are in. And I think that, that, that we as a church have lost sight of that mission and that understanding of what ministry is. And, and when that happens, we, we wall ourselves off from a lot. Alyssa, you made that point earlier about when we have that sacred secular divide, we, t we, we wall ourselves off from it. Man, I've, I'm not doing enough at church. I'm not doing enough Sunday things. And what we miss out on is that, yeah, but you've been placed in a, in a place with people for a purpose, to love and serve your neighbors. And if we don't have a wide Monday vision of the mission of God, I think we are missing out on the fullness of what it means to love Jesus and love our neighbors as ourselves. And so Paul has more in mind here than simply equipping people for Sunday work. It is equipping people for the work of ministry of service wherever they are placed. Where, where they are already positioned. In fact, there, there's a great video. So the Christian hip hop artist, Show Baraka, uh, commissioned this spoken word piece uh, for uh, our organization, Made to Flourish, that we'll share more about. But I want you to listen and watch this video of Show Baraka capturing this idea of serving where we're already positioned. Take a look. Where are you? Maybe it's right where you need to be. Cultivation happens in your vocation and the work is a few. You can be called, but first the caller must change you. I'm constantly encouraged by the missionaries I meet. For instance, Pam's a podiatrist, she has beautiful feet. Raheem is a boxer, he's beaten the best. But his hardest fight is when he's taking fight for his flesh. I know a doctor, his name is Jason. He prays that the Lord keeps working on his patience. Sarah works in fashion, but she's no slave to the dollar. She's clothed in righteousness, whether white or blue collar. Jimmy is a fisherman, but he's found new purpose. He fishes for souls, but he calls it network. Lane is a judge out in Las Vegas, but her favorite part of work is the cross-examination. Keisha owns a bakery with her husband, Ramon. They always tell their kids not to live off that bread alone. Keith plays basketball, and everywhere he goes, 
He has a defense for the faith while reaching for his goals. Theo is an officer, and this might sound crazy. He's the only cop I know who wakes up to die daily. My cousin at the IRS, his name is Thomas. On many different levels, he deals with false prophets. <laughs> Cultivation happens in your vocation, and the harvest is plenty. You don't have to be an architect to build a better city. Isn't that good? That's so good. Let's just watch that again. Uh, no, but, but so the idea, again, the picture, you heard all these vocations. You, there was a doctor, a, a fisherman, a boxer, a judge. And again, we hear those, and that, that, that's good work, and those are good things that people should do. But the real work, the real ministry, is what pastors and missionaries do. But again, when we understand that we've been called, each of us, and equipped to do the work of ministry in its broadest sense, it reforms and shapes the way we think about our Monday lives. And so Monday is where, yes, we grow, and it's also where we serve. And so when you think about your children or your spouse or your friends or roommates, your coworkers, your classmates, your clients, your customers, that was a lot of C words that I just strung together. Um, we, all of those people are the people God has placed you in relationship with to love and to serve and to be a representation of the love of Jesus in their lives. And, and, and maybe you're, if you're here, you might be thinking like, but I, like, I just, I'm not in a place of influence. I, like, I don't have people reporting to me. I'm not making six figures. I don't have this kind of influence because maybe it's because you're, you're looking at your economic capacity or you're, you're looking at your age or your marital status or the, the number of kids that are keeping you from doing work or the fact that you have no kids. You, like, there may be something that's telling you based on your age or whatever it may be that how could God possibly use me in my kind of insignificant space and place? And, and what, I want, what I want you to hear is that that is, that is a total lie. And I think it's one of the greatest lies that our enemy uses is to help us, is, is to get us to think that because I'm not in a place of great significant influence, that I cannot be used for the purposes of the kingdom. And that is so utterly false because it's in some ways it is a slap in the face to our God who is sovereign over all things and who is the one who works in all places and spaces. In God's economy, in God's kingdom, there is no such thing as a small person, as a small place, and as a small space. I believe that, that the extraordinary God is at work in us in extraordinary ways when we are faithful in our ordinary things, ordinary life. In fact, Michael Horton, the theologian, he wrote a book called Ordinary. And, and this dude writes some really like high-level theological work, but there's a phenomenal work because he was kind of convicted by this idea that like there's this kind of obsession, even within Christian circles, that like, man, if I really want to have an impact, I've got to sell all of my possessions and, and move to sub-Saharan Africa and, and dig wells and build orphanages. And again, that's beautiful work. And we should celebrate that work when people have that kind of conviction and draw. But I think that we settle or we, we miss out again on faithfulness, fruitfulness, and joy in the presence of God by being faithful in our ordinary life. And here's what Horton says. He says, our big ideas to change the world can become ways of actually avoiding the opportunities we have every day, right where God has placed us to glorify and enjoy him and to enrich the lives of others. And listen to this, he says, sometimes the best way to change the world is to live extraordinarily in what looks like an ordinary existence to radically love and serve those around us every day, no matter where we are. I wanna read that last line again. Sometimes the best way to change the world is to live extraordinarily in what looks like an ordinary existence, to radically love and serve those around us every day, no matter where we are. And my, my hope and prayer is that, that we would all capture that vision of what the mission of the church is. That there are, in God's economy and God's kingdom, there are no small people, no small spaces. And that if we all had that understanding, no matter the place we've been called to serve, as we are sent out, I mean, there's a reason why every Sunday we say, as we go from being the church gathered to the church scattered to continue this mission, the church is not over for the week. We believe that God sends out his people and is at work through our work in all the places he calls us. And we'll, we'll unpack so much more of this as we go on through um, this journey together. But, but again, Monday is where we grow. We need to have an awareness of how we're shaped and formed. Monday is the primary place where we serve. Yes, there are beautiful opportunities to serve as the church gathered, as the church partnered with our various outreach partners, but, but we also serve most effectively. And the way we love our neighbor the most is as the church scattered. 
And so I, I hope we capture a bit of that, that vision. So uh, let, let me pause there before we go to our, our third point here. Uh, questions, comments, criticisms, concerns you have, anything I can clarify that we've discussed up until this point? Okay. So our, our last point, uh, I, always, I always lose my, bar, my marker. There it is. There, okay. So uh, Monday is where we grow, is where we serve. And Monday is also our mission. So this is our last point. Monday is our mission. Monday is our mission. Now, these leadership roles that, that Paul lists here, uh, you know, some he gives to be apostles, evangelists, shepherds, etc. There's a lot of debate around what these words mean, and, and we can engage in that conversation, but, but what I'm more interested in is the work that those positions are created for. So whatever the apostles are created for, whatever the shepherds are created for, whatever the evangelists are created and gifted for, their work is to do what? Verse 12, to equip the saints, to equip the followers of Jesus for the work of service, of serviceable labor, of business for the benefit of others, for building up the body of Christ. And so, so again, the, the point isn't about, okay, what are all these different offices and positions and descriptions? And again, that's a worthy conversation. But the focus is that these roles exist for the mission of the church, which is to equip the saints for the work of service broadly. That the majority of our time as church leaders is to equip you for how and where you serve in the majority of your time. I'm going to say that one more time. The majority of our time as church leaders is to equip you for how and where you serve in the majority of your time. And so often that has been flipped. For so often churches and pastors emphasize the majority of their time and the minority parts of people's lives, their spiritual lives, whatever that means. And instead, our work should be about equipping you, shaping you, forming you for the totality of your lives. And so as we go from being the church gathered to the church scattered, if you walk out of here unprepared as a church, if you walk out of here unprepared for the remaining 167 hours of the week, we have failed as pastors equipped to equip the saints for ministry. That's what we are called to do. And so God is calling us to be a church that cares about all of life, and I do, I want to be a church that cares about Sunday, is known for our Sundays. I love Sunday. Sunday is the day that is marked by the defeat of death. We love Sunday. But if we are only focused and only known as a church for Sunday, we are missing out not only on the fullness of the mission of God, but also what it means to enjoy and delight in Him. And so, so my hope is, is that we would capture, again, these three points, that Monday is where we grow, Monday is where we serve, but also Monday is our mission. And so throughout our time in Church from Monday, we're going to unpack this more. And so, so what, what you're going to see in, in the booklet, you may not notice it unless I bring attention to it. But So we have nine weeks together. Tonight is just kind of the overview, the, the, what it means to be a disciple who's ready for Monday. The next seven weeks are actually unpacking what we call the seven marks of discipleship. These are marks that we would say, it's not the totality of what the Christian life is, but these seven marks are marks that we would say, these are the indicators of a growing, integral, whole, influential apprentice of Jesus. As we try to paint a picture for what does it mean to know Jesus, love Jesus, and love the things that he loves in such a way, in, in, to such a degree that he loves them, we believe that it's kind of distinguished or uh, made clear through these seven marks. And so you'll see them as we go through, that they, they, they take up their cross, uh, they enter the yoke, they believe in the Bible. And so we'll, we'll kind of go through these throughout the next seven weeks. And then our last week will be kind of our summary and capstone project uh, that we'll share more information about uh, that you'll see once we get to week four. Um, so again, this is just kind of the primer. This is kind of setting the stage for broadly what we want to explore together. And our hope and prayer is that you would capture this vision that we absolutely are a church for Sunday. We are resurrection people. We are absolutely people who believe in what Christ accomplished that first Easter morning. But, but he, he came out of the tomb bursting forth in glorious day into new life to bring new creation life into all of life. And if we don't have that vision of seeing the message of the gospel as impacting all of life, then we're not 
being full, fully faithful and fruitful apprentices to Jesus. So, so let me pause there. We're going to go to our tables for our last round of discussion questions, and then I'm going to wrap us up. And so I'm going to give you a little bit more time here for our last discussion. And so the last question is, if you could ask your church for help with one thing that you deal with in your Monday life. So if, if we can help you, equip you to do the work of service in your vocation and place of influence, what is one thing that we could do to help you fulfill that more effectively? So do this at your tables. All right, y'all, we're gonna go ahead and wrap up here. Thank you for uh, engaging so um, intentionally in conversation. I, I hate to kind of break it up. Um, but, uh, but again, thank you, for, thank you for just a great first night. This is, I, I truly love this. I mean, I just love what I get to do. This has been so overdue and just the chance that we have to be together. I just, yeah, I, I love this, I truly do. And so um, my, my hope and prayer is that over these next nine weeks together that we would all in, in small ways and big ways just have a little bit of a wider scope of what, what this mission is, what this whole life that we've been called into looks like. And, and, and truly, just from, from my vantage point, as, as when I get to benedict you all out of here on Sunday mornings, and even as I sit here, just thinking about all of the people and places and spaces that are touched by all of you, it's like, that is a remarkable picture to think about and see. It's not just a collection of people that come together on Sundays that's beautiful. There is unity and maturity in, in Sundays, but... Man, what excites me is truly seeing our church scattered and sent out. And so I hope that this is a, a tool by which uh, we all are mutually equipping one another for the work of, of service, uh, for the good of our neighbor and the glory of Christ. So, uh, and I hope it, it bears fruit in our schools, our homes, our neighborhoods, our communities, uh, and beyond. And so, um, so what I'd like to do, we're gonna, this is a little liturgy that we're going to engage in every Tuesday night. It's just a helpful practice because there's sometimes going to be a lot of content, a lot of brilliant things have been said tonight, you know, uh, but uh, that was a joke. Thank you, thank you. But uh, I want you to take 30 seconds and just write what is one takeaway from tonight. It, it could be an insight. It could be an action step. Um, it could be, I need to find a new church, uh, whatever it may be. I, I'm not sure what it is, but truly, I, I want you to take 30 seconds and just at, like write down somewhere in your booklet, what is your one takeaway from tonight? It could be thought, an action step, someone you need to talk to, etc. And as we prepare to, to head out of here, just one, one quick reminder again uh, with, with your journal. So ma make sure you're bringing your journals with you each week. Uh, br bring a Bible with you. Um, and, and what I would say is, and if you're not used to having kind of a daily habit of some kind of, of engagement with the scriptures or in prayer, we, we hope this is a guide that at least gets you into that rhythm and habit. But just like any habit, uh, we need specificity to it. So if it's just like, I, I want to save more money over the next, you know, so odd amount of time. Like when we're vague about our habits and goals, we, we tend to not accomplish them. And so when we're specific about the what and the when and the where, we're much more likely to kind of follow through. And so, so in, in terms of kind of engaging the daily assignments and the habits, I would really encourage you to, to answer those three questions very specifically. What are you going to do? Where are you going to do it? And when will you do it? I mean, when you answer those three questions, this is true of like any habit. When you, when you answer those three questions, you are so much more likely to do it instead of like, I want to lose weight at some point. You know, it's like you, when we're more specific about what, where, and when, you're more likely to follow through. And so I would encourage you to find that rhythm uh, for you if, it, if it's a morning routine, if it's over lunch, if it's before bedtime, whatever it may be. But think of the place, the time, and that activity of engaging these daily habits. You will get again an email with the assignment. Our memory verse is Ephesians 4, um, 11 through 12, I believe, for next week. And so you'll see that in the, the daily habits uh, in this booklet. And so that's the memory verse that we will memorize when we come back together next Tuesday. And again, it is not about perfection. It is about it's not about trying, trying harder, it's about training better. And so that is the goal, is to get God's word into our minds and hearts. Um, so again, you'll, you'll get the email with the homework assignment, the reminder of the memory verse. Um, what I'd like to do is just send us out uh, with a benediction uh, from Ephesians chapter four. Yes, Nathan. You know, that's, that's likely. Oh, yeah. Well, but okay. Do both. Do <laughs> that's right. <laughs> we have a teacher's pet here. Uh, thank you, Alyssa. Thank you. Yeah. So, but that, what's so strange? Okay, that's a good question. Because Ephesians, Ephesians four is so. Because every week has, there's like a graphic with the memory verse. 
And for this week, it's Ephesians 4. But you're right, at the, at the beginning, big assignment for week two. Well, huh. You, okay, here's, here's what we'll do. You can choose whichever one you want to do. How about that? How about that? Ben, do you know? It's probably Ben's fault is probably what I think. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Ben, you might, do you know? It should be Luke 9. Okay, so then Ephesians 4, for those people who really love Jesus, uh, can memorize both of them. Just, kid, just kidding, kind of. Um, okay, so, so what I'd say is Luke, so we'll make Luke 9 our, our scripture memory verse. Uh, I would encourage you to reflect. Part of, part of uh, this week's study is reflecting on and meditating on Ephesians 4, but our memory verse will be Luke 9. Okay, thank you, Nathan. Thank you for that. All right, so I'm going to send us out with a benediction. Um, Again, y'all, thank you. I, I, again, I just, I do. I love this. This is wonderful. I am so excited for this journey together. And so thank you for carving out the time as well. That, that means a lot. I know that's a commitment. And so that, that means a great deal. So, so hear these words from the Apostle Paul and Ephesians 4 is our, is our benediction, our good word for the road. I, therefore, a prisoner from the Lord, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Amen. Go in peace. Have a great week, guys. Thank you so much. And you're, again, feel, feel free to welcome, stick around, chat. If you have questions, I'm, I'll be sticking around here for a while. So.